every time you prioritize and invest in touch for pleasure, you're investing in your future capacity to experience even more pleasure in the future. And that is such a beautiful thing to think about. Welcome to Wellbeings, the podcast that keeps you cool, calm, and connected with your host, Dominic Bowden. Welcome to Wellbeings. My name is Dominic Bowden. And if you've been following, we're talking connection. We've looked into the science of why it's so important to connect. Where we lost the connection, the anxiety that causes us to feel so disconnected. But the big question now is, how do we actually do it? What is the fastest path to true connection? Well, as you're about to find out, it's through pleasure. This week's guest is a pleasure coach in Los Angeles. Their name is Euphemia Russell. And you're probably thinking like I was, what is a pleasure coach? Well, it's probably not what you think. It's looking at how do we invite more pleasure into every moment of our lives in the most simple, natural way. Whether that's feeling the sun on our skin, enjoying the smell of our coffee before we tuck in, things that just really open the door to us feeling good. This was such a fun chat, and I promise you it will change the way you look at pleasure. Don't feel guilty. We owe it to ourselves. That feeling of being alive, however that feeling hits for you, that's pleasure. Now, if it's your first time listening to Wellbeings, welcome. If you like the show, please feel free to subscribe and connect. And now this is the amazing pleasure coach, Euphemia Russell. But just before we get into the show, it wouldn't be possible without the support of these guys. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It is so uh, fantastic to talk with you. This book here, we were just talking about it before we started. It is, even to hold, it feels good. You mm. know, like, was that something mm. a- about the design or what you wanted to put together to kind of make it even a pleasure to hold? Absolutely. And I can't take credit for it all. Murray Baton, who designed it all, is incredible. And the team at Hardy Grant, who designed it all. But I had very specific things that I did want, which was color and the weight and the size and the embossing was their idea. And I just thought that that was brilliant to be able to have that textural experience because the byline is pleasure spectrum. Having those elements throughout the book just makes it such a joy because you open it and you see the physical manifestation of what slow pleasure looks like in design. And that helps you be able to digest it slowly and thoughtfully. And I am overjoyed with the design, if you can't tell. (laughs) First of all, it is so fantastic to talk to you. I think that we as humans right now are spending so much time doing. We, We need to be so productive that it feels like pleasure has become this sort of just a nice to have. You know, how did we get here? What happened to us? Oh my gosh. 
I wonder there's a lot because we definitely inherited structures and a culture that is focused on busyness and rushing as a sign of value and worth. And I think that often people feel as though it's a personal challenge, but actually it's a collective one, structurally and culturally. And I think there are many elements that have shaped that. I talk a lot in the book about those structures. I talk about the idea that we live in what I call a crisis of pace and disconnection. Obvious structures like capitalism and the extraction mentality that comes with that. It comes with the patriarchy and the idea of doing, being better than feeling. It comes with the idea of that I think comes through religion of of focusing on what's more, the mind and beyond, rather than the body and what is right here. So I think that is a huge question. And I wonder this often, but they are just a couple of little things that I wonder every day. Yeah, it is that feeling of um, uncertainty, where to place pleasure in our life, right? And I know that, you know, in, in researching for this interview, the fact that you are a pleasure coach, I'm so unfamiliar with that job, you know, so I'm, in, I'm intrigued to know <laughs> how does one become a pleasure coach and what exactly do you do? Mm. Well, it's definitely a niche job, that's for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's something that I'm working out as I go. And I started more with a focus on sexual pleasure and realized that pleasure is so much more than sex. Yeah. And that actually it's something that's available to us in each moment. And then I did training around somatics, which is the idea of seeing ourselves as more than just our thoughts, seeing ourselves as our thoughts, our feelings and our sensations and our whole self, basically. And so I call myself at the moment a pleasure and somatics coach. And the idea is that I create space for people to pause listen to their thoughts, feelings, sensations, and remember. And often people come to me thinking that they need to learn some hot tip or to have to do a particular thing and then suddenly everything falls into place. And I hold space and time for them to explore and to realize that actually it's about going inwards and feeling rather than seeking and grasping something new. It's, it's niche, it's beautiful, and it's often hard to describe unless you're also experiencing it. Well, I can kind of feel, because the audience, I think, is so broad, right? And there's a lot of people that are going to be like, I get it. But there's a lot of people that are like, not pleasure, it's not for me. Mm. I think they're the ones we want to speak to the most, right? What do you say to get people over the line to even consider the idea of getting help to get more pleasure in their life? The way that I frame it to those people is... Do you want to feel more alive? Because most people will say yes to that. They'll say, I love the feeling. I, this, when I do this thing, I feel alive. I come alive. I light up. And those things are pleasure. And they're different to every person. But framing it in those words, sometimes it helps it click for people to be, oh, yeah, I do want more aliveness in my life. I do want more what I call nourishing connection to myself and others and the world around me. We've inherited ideas that pleasure, as you said, is frivolous, that it's a distraction, that it will corrupt us, and that we believe we don't deserve it, although we're not worthy of it. And so even small practices in our day-to-day -day life of actually 
seeing pleasure as a fuel rather than a reward is mind-blowing to people. But that's something that I hope to change culturally through my work. For a lot of people, it's money, it's safety, it's security, it's how am I going to put food on the table? There's so many other pressures that people are like, look, I'll get to pleasure at some point, but Mm. it's going to be a minute. Maybe the thinking should be that we kind of flip that. And maybe pleasure is one of the things that we should look towards first. Do you agree or? Absolutely. Yeah. As I said just before, that idea of shifting our relationship with pleasure to see it as a fuel for ourselves and our life rather than a reward is easy to say and much harder to do, of course. But to see that when we bring pleasure into each moment and when we pause to say, what are my choices for pleasure? Our life is so much richer and enjoyable. And I think that we deserve pleasure for pleasure's sake and nothing more. But it also is very good for our well-being. It's incredible for our overall health, our social connectivity, our connection to ourselves, our immune system. All of those things are boosted. And the idea that as a collective, we experience so much stress and trauma and chronic pain. The thing that I remind people in this book and in my life and work in general is that we don't live in a binary of either pleasure or pain or pleasure or no pleasure. That small practices in everyday life can help us feel more connected to pleasure and remember, oh, it doesn't only have to be sexual pleasure. It can be remembering our senses. It can be enjoying the wind on our skin. It can be having the right temperature of water when we wash our hands. It can be listening to the birds. It can actually be savoring what we're doing every moment rather than trying to add more. So there are many ways we can experience that that require nothing. Yeah, I think as well, it's about looking at our environments. You know, over the last 10, 20 years, our tethered to technology lifestyles, uh, the fact that we record ourselves experiencing things only to post them and observe other people reacting. We can't keep living like this but we've got to take responsibility for the environment that we're putting ourselves in, right? And, and it makes it very hard, I think, at that point to really know which way to go because we are overwhelmed. We are stressed about so much that we can't control. You know, what's your take on, on, on that kind of environmental pressure that, you know, that, that kind of squashes our, our desire to put pleasure in our life? It's real. It's very real. It's definitely something that we all struggle with to different degrees and that technology, for example, was created as an incredible tool for connection. There is a bizarre paradox that we hold in the fact that we are more connected, but we feel less nourishing connection. And of course, I have created so many beautiful friendships and opportunities through the digital space. I don't believe we should throw the baby out with the bathwater, that we can have a healthier, more nourishing relationship with technology. And of course, design and user experience, particularly for social media, is, in my opinion, criminal in the addictive way that it engages people. And I think that digital boundaries is really important to be able to say, oh, this isn't actually 
contributing to my aliveness and my nourishing connection, but it is helping me soothe in this moment. And when we're stressed or traumatized or in pain, we look to soothe. Pleasure is about being able to soothe, but it's also about how to grow our capacity so that we can hold more sensation and aliveness and excitement as well. And so it's knowing our intentions behind our actions when it comes to things like technology. You mentioned trauma, and I think for so many people, the trauma is very real. I more than anything want people to be able to come out of this conversation with some things in their toolbox to not see pleasure as a luxury, mm. to almost demand it, you know, in your life. So for the skeptics or for people listening right now and they're like going, man, I don't know, where do we start when it comes to putting pleasure back into our life? Mm, that's a beautiful intention. I share that. I really hope that people can come away from this podcast and think, oh, pleasure is more accessible than I thought. That is my greatest hope. The two practices that I repeat in my daily life, because I see pleasure as something we practice rather than master, one is a question. And that question is, how can I bring even 10% more pleasure or ease or aliveness into this moment or into this action? And that can be as simple as brushing your teeth. How can I bring more pleasure? Maybe I can dance around. Maybe I can stretch. Maybe I can realize I'm standing in a weird way or I'm tensing. Whatever it might be, just moving that 10% closer to pleasure or ease or aliveness and asking ourselves that again and again. And when we do that, we realize, oh my goodness, I'm in my tunnel vision rushing through my day thinking that I have no other choices, but actually there's so much available to me. Even when you might be feeling stressed or stuck, there are still options and they can help you realize that there are more choices. And then the other practice that I find so helpful in my daily life and my clients adore is movement and touch. And I suggest setting a timer, five minutes. I do every day. I give myself five minutes to, to move in whatever way I want. It's not necessarily dance. It's not necessarily stretching. It's just how can I move in a way that feels pleasurable and realize, oh, oh, that's kind of fun when I do that. Or it makes me feel like this. It brings this kind of emotion. Or it reminds me I even live in a body and to be able to look around for a moment. And then you can potentially bring in what I call a hand scan which is like a body scan, but actually with touch. So if you have the mobility and the capability going through your whole body and you can start with your head and you can do this with me now if you would like, yeah, of course. which is just starting and holding your head yeah. and saying, mm. oh, I have a head and just remembering that you live in a body and that can help so much to bring more ease. Another layer to that is, oh, I'm touching my right arm how could I potentially bring pleasure to this part of my body in this moment? And that might be the way that you touch. It might be, oh, I realize I want to have a more of a light tickling touch, or actually I want a more compressive holding touch because that would help me. Or maybe it's, oh, I want to hold my hands in this way. And going across your whole body with as much time as you want. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's 30 seconds and just being like, oh, okay, that felt good when I just pat myself down. Or maybe it's taking five minutes or 10 minutes to be like, oh, wow, 
I never knew that about myself, that the nerve endings in my forearm are actually incredibly sensitive and bring me so much pleasure. So they're the two practices, which is asking that question, how do I bring even 10% more pleasure into this moment? And then the second practice is the hand scan. Wow. It's a simple, easy way to start the journey. And I think that to me, I look at connection. Our connection is slowly being eroded. Mm in this amazing book, but even in all the the lessons that you've learned along the way, why is it so important for us to fight to get that connection back? I believe that connection is the meaning of life. Mm. To be able to feel connected to oneself, connected to one's purpose, connected to one's loved ones in a relationship, connected to the world around us, the land that we're on, the trees, the rivers, and that we don't exist in isolation and that that richness allows complexity and nuance and diversity that when we interact with each other, we become an ecosystem Hmm. and nothing exists without an ecosystem. I think that for young listeners, they kind of relate and they get it, I think, a lot more than, say, people in their 60s. Uh, No matter how old you are, I think as you age, you become less open. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm intrigued to know, you know, when, you, when you're getting older people coming in that are like, man, I want to live more. I want to feel like my life is, you know, as full as possible. How do we encourage the older people in our life to redirect some of their energy towards finding pleasure? Mm, that's such a beautiful question. I feel like a lot of people feel as though they start living when they retire. They feel like they're prioritizing themselves and what brings them joy and that people wait to retire to be able to live a life that they want. And I don't think that pleasure is quitting society and disappearing into the woods forever as much as that may appeal to people. Of course, it's not realistic to just disappear out of society. But I think that coming back to saying, how would you want to live today? What's something that you can do to feel more alive and to be living the life that you are waiting to live or have deferred until afterwards, which is so a mentality of society is I don't experience pleasure until all the work is done. And we have that same relationship with retirement. Hmm. And of course, there are, as you said, pressures of existing and society and safety And we are all trying to move towards safety in each moment because it can be hard to experience anything else without that. But I would say it's the same. It's the same answer is how can you bring a little bit in? And it's been so beautiful to see the people and the reception of, as you say, people in their 60s reading this book and saying, oh, my gosh, this was such a taboo, even talking about the idea of what brings me joy. And so many people who were socialized to please others, to defer and to default all of their needs and desires to their family, to their partners, to their parents, to their work, and actually feeling completely separated from their own needs and wants, and not even knowing them because they've never even dared ask themselves that. It's been so beautiful to see the people reach out and say, thank you. I am starting to realize what my needs and wants might even be. That's not something I even thought of. And I think that that is the first step in that reclaiming for people who have spent a lifetime 
not knowing or not feeling that. When it comes to your own personal journey, you know, was was this something where you were, man, I need more pleasure, and so I need to find out and do the research, do the work. You know, what what was the aha moment? What was that moment of clarity for you where you were like, I want to make pleasure something that I put all my focus on and help people achieve? I wish I could boil it down to a moment. I didn't have this just moment of enlightenment where I was like, this is it. And I often don't speak about my own experience in my work because I find that people default to my experience over their own. And I want people to focus on their experience because there are so many ways towards pleasure. But the way that I moved towards this work was bit by bit. And it began with an innate curiosity and realizing that it was so limited in representation of what pleasure could be like and feel like. I didn't know anyone. I didn't know anything to do with this area before I began. I just knew it was something I wanted to do. And that built, as I said, into more somatics and a broader sense of pleasure as I developed and matured in my own relationship with pleasure as well to realize, oh my goodness, I used to think it was just sexual pleasure and actually it's any moment can bring such deep joy and pleasure when I stop and listen. And so it's been a journey. It's been a beautiful journey but a hard one. Yeah, very brave of you as well to have this journey and kind of be documenting it and helping other people find that enlightenment. Mm. You know, you mention sexual pleasure and I really know that a lot of people are like, oh, this is, I don't know if I want to hear this. You know, this is this feels like a little too close to the line. Mm. Why is it so hard for people to talk about sexuality in a sense of getting pleasure, you know, giving it value in that way? Mm. Shame. We have inherited society built on shame and woven into our policies, our culture, the way we relate to our bodies. That can freeze us. Most people's response to shame is to shut down. And that makes it really hard to talk about something. And particularly with something like sexual pleasure, where everyone thinks that they are struggling alone and everyone else has it sorted because society shows sex in such a hyper-sexualized way. We think that everyone else knows what they're doing and it's just us and our problem. And I think that that compounds that shame where we we feel ashamed to be ashamed and then it becomes a cycle. How do we break that cycle? Talking about it, feeling it, giving ourselves permission education. I've done a lot of education in schools, normalizing, consent, being able to see that work like sex work is legitimate form of work. There's, I think that's a multi-pronged approach to, to shame. Hmm. Yeah, body autonomy, moving towards choices around how we are in our own bodies. And as we are seeing right now with all the challenges around abortion, we are still struggling with that. How overwhelming is that for you personally to be trying to push this movement forward uh, and everywhere you turn, it just feels like it's just hard. It still feels like so much of what we're doing, we're not learning from and, and we're doing it wrong. I actually hold such deep hope and that is fueled by 
witnessing and observing the incredible transformations that my clients have, where I say, oh my gosh, what I am teaching, what I'm sharing, what I am offering is actually really basic. That it is, as I said at the start, a remembering rather than a learning. And I used to feel much more a victim of society in my work of, oh my gosh, digital censorship. I can't reach these people. I can't have advertisements. I don't get funding from banks, the payment processes, all of these things, all of the the structural challenges that my work has. And I used to think, oh, it's just us against the world. And I've really changed in that. I've I have a lot more empathy for that kind of fear mongering, realizing that, oh, we all deserve access to this. And it's so powerful and incredible to see the ways that we can transform with a small amount of education and experiences that I think it's just about getting resources out there and the word out there and people are so hungry for it. And cultural behavior that when something is their friends or their family start to talk about it, everyone goes, ah, and at first they might be like, oh gosh, but then it allows it to be a new way. And I see that in my own family and my own friends. When I started this work, people will be like, oh my God, and have all of these judgments and expectations of what that was going to be like and realize, oh, it's actually just a part of life. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I think that we are more open now than ever before uh, to new ways of thinking. The pleasure spectrum or the pleasure dial. Bring us into what that actually means. Uh, and, and, and how we can start to reframe the different layers of pleasure in our life. That term, the pleasure spectrum and the pleasure dial, came out of me seeing that society very much is in an all or nothing around pleasure. Either we're desexualized and completely distant from ourself and what it's like to be in our body, and or we're expected to flip that switch and suddenly we are aroused and raring to go and absolutely wanting sex at any moment. And there's no in-between. And our obsession with sex drive or libido, our obsession with the idea of pleasure only being sexual pleasure or it being nothing, I see the damage in that. And my way to try to explain that there are so many choices for pleasure and there are so many types of pleasure was to talk about it like a spectrum or a dial where it's saying, hey, Instead of these two options, there are vast options and you can keep adding new possibilities and choices every time you realize what your needs and wants are in each moment. And so that is me trying to offer another way to think about pleasure and think about our choices for pleasure beyond sexual pleasure or beyond being completely detached from it. And I weave that throughout the whole book of saying, 
when you practice and you prioritize pleasure, you are investing in that range. You are adding more choices and realizing more about yourself of, oh, oh my gosh, I never realized that I love to be able to to have my hands held in this way rather than just enduring holding hands with my partner or my lover in an awkward way. And it can just be very micro adjustments that can feel like a completely different way of being in ourselves and being in the world. You talk about micro adjustments um, quite a bit and I'm interested to know what other small changes we can make because I think for some this is overwhelming and so the ability to, to start small, I think, is just a great gateway into this. So tell us about what you mean by the micro-adjusting and what are some small ways we could start to, to explore? I mean, for example, right now, if you're willing with me, mm. we're both sitting and we're probably both enduring something that, and it could be, okay, what is a micro adjustment you can do in this moment to tend to yourself and tend to your pleasure? For me, it's, oh, I'm thirsty. I want to take a sip of water. And that is moving towards, that is a micro adjustment to move towards more pleasure and more ease. So much of it's just intention. So we do so much without thinking mindlessly. Mm. And, you know, you go upstairs and you're like, what am I here to do again? You know, we're so busy. There's so much information that we're consuming daily that we don't put our intention on the right things or the things that actually are gonna improve our lives and our life experience, you know? Mm. That's such a powerful word, I think, intention. Yeah. Uh, especially when it comes around to feeling good. It's all right there for us to listen to. You know, our sensations are our first language. When we listen to our body and our feelings and our thoughts all at the same time, we realize, oh my gosh, all along, my mouth has been telling me I want a sip of water. And I have been overriding that and enduring that discomfort because I'm either stuck in my thoughts or my attention is elsewhere. That's a micro example of a micro adjustment. Mm. But it's really interesting, as you say, to think about our attention and where we place it and why. I think time is a very valuable word as well, right? Maybe there's a mother listening to this right now that's got three kids and there's so much that needs to be done. It's always about time. It's always like, this is so great. I would love to be doing this. I'd love to meditate. I'd love to journal, but I just don't have time. How do we prioritize time to give this some space to actually grow? I think it's quality over quantity. And that's why it's, how can I bring 10% more pleasure into this moment? So perhaps that mother who is listening to this podcast right now thinking, yeah, sure, great good for you, but not ever going to happen for me. It could be, okay, while I'm tending to my children, while I'm looking after making a meal, while I'm cleaning the house, whatever it might be of those endless responsibilities that come with parenthood, it could be, how can I bring 10% more pleasure into this action that I do every day? How can I create more of a quality connection to myself and this moment and often it can be, oh, I'm getting in the car and I'm rushing, taking all the children to school or something, and I just have to do it. But maybe it's, okay, if I take 10 seconds and choose a song that we all love to sing along to and put that on, 
that car ride that could have felt like something that you just had to endure and do again for the sake of routine can become a very different quality moment. I could suggest endless examples of things like that that we do in our daily life that we rush through and think that we have no choices for. But yes, I think it is, it's less about time and more about quality. I think that's such a great frame to get people thinking. I, I know you've done a lot of research as well, and one of the things we try and focus on is the science and the connection between the mind and the body to get ourselves out of our heads and into our physical selves. What surprised you or what have you found out from a science perspective uh, when it comes to pleasure? I am so fascinated with the neurology of pleasure and that our brain lights up in the same way, whether we are having pudendal, which is touch and experiencing pleasure through touch, or whether it's just a dream or a fantasy or another way that we can activate that through memory, whatever it may be, the brain lights up in the same way. And that's so beautiful to think about and to remember that we actually have those pathways in our body, in our nervous system, in our peripheral nervous system that goes all the way out to our nerve endings, but also the neural pathways in our brain. Another science fact that I love is that when people say, oh, I don't really like that kind of touch. We all have our preferences, of course, on likes and dislikes. But if people have been in an accident or if they have been in pain or they want to potentially just experience more pleasure in a particular area, then the greater range of touch that you can experience actually means that your body grows new nerve endings. So for example, if I was to focus on my right forearm and touching it in different ways every day, then my body and my my nervous system would actually respond and my peripheral nervous system would grow new nerve endings there. To simplify that, every time you prioritize and invest in touch for pleasure, you're investing in your future capacity to experience even more pleasure in the future. And that is such a beautiful thing to think about. You know, we get such a short amount of time on the planet. You know, I find there's so much coming at me. There's so much information. I wake up every morning, I already feel I'm behind, you know. I'm letting someone down. I, I don't have time. I don't have the opportunity to do deep work. You personally, what does deep work look like for you when it comes to pleasure? Feeling. Feeling myself every day because I believe that when we allow ourselves the space to feel, then we can allow ourselves to heal. And so all of the work that I do for the sake of my own quality of life and well-being and richness, like somatic coaching, I am a somatic coach, but I also receive somatic coaching and body work and the somatic practices that I do every day. They're not complicated. I just know the deep why and the reason that I want to do them. And every time I do them, I can do them for 30 seconds or I can do them for 10 minutes, just like all of the practices we've spoken about. And that is deep work to me, is allowing myself either healing or as I was talking about, building that capacity to hold more charge 
of excitement or pleasure or aliveness in my body. And so that when I do my practices, and I talk about this in the book, that we can have a puritanical relationship with the word practice of like, oh, it has to be regimented, has to be strict, it has to be an hour long. And I break that down and say, ask yourself why you're doing it and then do it imperfectly. Because the more that you do something, the more you identify as a person who does that kind of thing. And that builds your sense of depth in being, I'm a person who is committed to my pleasure, for example. And so I am constantly doing that for myself and for the sake of myself, but also for the sake of me being able to have more depth and ground to hold other people in facilitated spaces and coaching so that they can feel that too. Yeah, you talk about facilitating. I think that for a lot of people that are in relationships, they want to have more pleasure. They know that maybe they've lost sight of what pleasure feels and looks like. So, you know, when you're talking to couples, you know, if you are speaking to the couples out there, how do we re-engage, how do we reignite pleasure in a relationship? Curiosity. Meeting your lover or your partner as they are today not holding your preconceived ideas of what they like or dislike or how they are or how they react to something. And then doing whatever it may be. Maybe it's just a shake, what I call a shake and shimmy, where you just sort of have a bit of a a tantrum and just let yourself move. And it actually helps you to metabolize the cortisol and the adrenaline of you've been able to feel more stuck. So potentially doing that together or something else to help you become more present and being like, oh, hello, you're right in front of me. How do we want to feel together in this moment? And I talk about this in the last section of the book, which is that there are so many ways we can experience mutual body-based pleasure together that doesn't necessarily have to escalate to the idea of what we think sex is, that it doesn't have to be, oh, it has to involve genitals, or we have to be naked, or it has to be like this. It's how can we protect and prioritize time together, that is quality time. And it's not scheduling sex, it's prioritizing and protecting time to be present. What's what's responsible for how we've gotten to this place where we, we're feeling so disconnected? I know technology plays a big part. I know that stress and, and worry and overwhelm mm. and burnout, you know, f- from your point of view, like, what are you seeing people come in with The main three experiences that I see are people feeling like they're stuck in their heads, people feeling like they are pleasing everyone else but themselves, and then people who aren't necessarily asking it in this way but are saying, am I normal? Am I too much? Am I too little? Is what I'm experiencing common, basically? All of those things can feel like pleasure becomes a very distant thing. And I don't think I necessarily have anything to add to that other than what we have talked about and shared Mm. in our conversation so far, which is slowly, small, imperfectly, and to know the deep why of why you want to pause, listen, feel, invite more pleasure in and savor the pleasure that you're experiencing. Yeah. And I love the use of the word slow because I think we live in fast forward. We are in this cult of hurry. And the ability to just slow down and put intention on anything, whether it's the food that we eat uh, or the connection we have with our families or, 
even the things we do for fun, you know, how important was it to have that word slow central to the book? The most. I think that the the ideal word for that is savoring. Slow pleasure is savoring. But that's something that I built up to through that book, which is starting with we live in a crisis of pace and disconnection and the steps through many practices I put in the book and many reflection questions I put in each section to get to the place of, oh, this is how I can begin to savor. It is less about pace and then again, it's more about quality. So it's less about pace and time, but that it's harder to access that when we're rushing. I'd love to know your daily rituals, you know, your non-negotiables that you've found that are useful for you. Mm -hmm. There are many. (laughs) Uh, Currently, I wake up at the same time every day because I have found that that gives me better sleep hygiene, but also helps me to enter the day feeling more alive. And then I have routines. I don't try and stack everything in the morning. I know there's a lot of pressure on morning routine. And in my imperfection, if I don't do it then, then I try and do it later. If I don't do it at all, I will do it the next day. But those things are very, there are very many foundational practices I have, like meditating, the intuitive movement that I was talking about. My smoothies are a staple to my, the way I begin my day. And then allowing myself to move in between sessions. So whether it's meeting or podcast, I have space in what I call my pleasure perch, which is the space I built in my garden. And I have a very short, sweet commute from my home to my pleasure perch that goes past many fruit trees and lizards and birds and plants and flowers. And every time I walk up and down, instead of having that tunnel vision, I remind myself to look out to the mountains to see the sky, to see the clouds, to notice the world around me. And having that kind of presence with something beyond me every single day reminds me and humbles me and helps me feel more connected than me just being stuck in my busy, supposedly busy, supposedly important day every day. So there's some things that I do. And then I have some very specific somatic practices that I do for myself. Isn't busy... uh a buzzword right now, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like we are so caught up in the idea that we almost need to be busy. Everything's hard. What's your relationship with that word? Mm, I try not to use it. I find that it's often a band-aid for a different feeling or a different need. The closest word I'll use is squishy. So if someone says, hey, can we do this thing this week? I'll say, my schedule's a little squishy and I still protect time for myself like I'm the most important person and that I'll show up for me. So I I purposefully pare back my week and it's an ongoing process, a lifelong process of not overscheduling. But squishy is the closest word I'll use. But often I'll find that when I say that, I'm either trying to prove my self-worth or what I believe as a sense of like social status or a sense of importance or potentially evading rather than clearly communicating. If someone says, hey, let's do this thing. And I say, oh, I'm sorry, I can't. I'm so busy. And actually, maybe it's actually, I don't want to do that with you. And so being more honest about my desires has helped me 
also changed my relationship to busyness and being a clearer communicator. Yeah, I, I think about, you know, as you're speaking, I'm thinking about how we all love as well to give others pleasure. We're so focused on, hey, I want to make you this beautiful meal or, you know, take you on this great experience, or it is about physicality and touch. But it's so important to frame it that you are the first person that you need to focus on. Give pleasure to yourself before you do to others, right? It's true. It sounds cheesy, but the cup does overflow. When you are full, you can give so much more to others. For a lot of people that are, that are listening, they are discovering things that they need to work on. How do you help people see the benefits of this in their already overwhelmed existence? Pleasure could this be this gateway drug to a whole new way of living? <laughs> yeah, I think very much. I think very much it's a gateway drug to a whole new way of living. <laughs> I think I need to just put that as my slogan for my work. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a big statement, isn't it? <laughs> In thinking about pleasure, it's just, it's just a word that... I, you know, I think we all have such an interesting relationship with, you know, it's just, yeah. it's selfish, mm -hmm. you know, which is maybe me expressing my own relationship with it. But sometimes that's the thing that pops up for people. It's, it's, it's weird. Mm. You must have so many different responses to it. Mm. Yeah, it's something actually I encourage clients to do is reflect on that word and what comes up for them. So you're spot on with that because it shows or reflects back our potential challenges or barriers to feeling it more or our socialization and what we have been told to believe about it. And in my book, I talk about the spheres of influence and there's, I think, six or seven. I won't go through them all now, but it can be really useful to reflect on pleasure and how we were shaped by ourselves, our family, our communities, our, the social structures, institutions. I am going through them, I lied. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then our connection to landscape or spirit, if we have one. And it's so useful to see and realize that we all, as you said, have a very different shaping when it comes to our relationship with pleasure. But there are some unfortunate I would hesitate to use the word universal, but majority experiences, as we've spoken about, like shame or the more puritanical religious feelings of believing it will corrupt us or that more work ethic of believing, as you said, leaving it till later or deferring it. And to so many people realizing that when they have a relationship with pleasure, their self-confidence, their self-worth, their sense of self, their trust in themselves completely changes. I suppose that's on the other side of that gateway. <laughs> I, I think that's a really powerful place to end it, but we live so much of our lives in our heads and I think that it's gotten worse. We're at that sea change moment and I think nature could be this antidote, this answer. So just speak on how important nature in general can be um, in the search for pleasure? I would flip that actually and say how important pleasure is to our relationship with the outside world and to land. And that one of the deep 
whys of my work is environmental crisis. It's not something I speak about often in my work with my clients, but it is a deep thing that propels me because I believe that when we are embodied and we are connected to ourselves, we are more able to connect to others. And then we are more able to connect to the land and the world around us. And when we feel connected to something, we care more about it. And we are, see our mutuality and our relationship with it. And I believe that our environmental crisis, we don't necessarily need quick fixes and technology. We need to change our relationship with how we see our mutuality with the world around us, rather than extracting it, of seeing that when we invest in it, it gives back tenfold. There's a simplicity to you know something that you, you said, which was, uh, we live in a body in the world, not in our head. Mm. It's so simple, but it's just so true. Uh, I, I think it landed on me uh, anyway. Can be so easy forget, to forget. Sometimes I just stomp around telling myself and reminding myself, I live in my body on earth in space and time because we can be just stuck and feel so detached from the beauty and the magnificence that surrounds us in each moment. It's powerful. You know, I commend you for all the incredible work you're doing. I think that switching the mindset is tough. You talk about hope, and, and I think that the other lane is fear, right? And uh, it's just great to have people like you, know, you out there pushing this message, you know? So mm -hmm. uh, thank you. And thank you for writing this mm -hmm. incredible book and obviously the movement. In closing, everyone that's out there, some of them are probably overwhelmed. They kind of know. It's almost like I've got friends and I, like, I know I need to meditate. You know, I know I need to eat healthy. <laughs> it's like, I know I need to focus on pleasure. Um, but just give them some love, give them some support. You know, what, what do you want to say as we close this interview out? Do it imperfectly. It's better than nothing. Hmm. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you for your support and uplifting this work. Mm. We all deserve it. We sure do. It's been a pleasure to chat with you. What a pleasure. A big thank you. And like me, look, I really hope it helped you reframe the importance of trying to find a way to get more pleasure into your life. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe. Uh, and we would love for you to connect with us as well. Thanks to everyone that made the show possible, especially our wonderful producers at Hello Television. And we'll see you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.